the depth charge submarine telling everyone we're going down for smart dribble episode. Uh, Kurt, you might want to close the porthole. <laughs> People have been telling me to close my porthole for years. Is that what it's called? The thing at the top of the submarine? Is that a manhole, a porthole? That's your pie hole. No, but what is that thing called? It's obviously an important door. Latch. Bat- yeah. Is it a hatch? Batten down the hatches? Yes, there you go. What's a yeah. hatch? You batten down. Right, but that must have a name. Yeah, but do you know that's named after Lord Mountbatten? That's why they call it batten down the hatches because he I'm going to call bullshit on that one. <laughs> Lord Mountbatten, he died like in the 40s or 50s. His boat was like blown up by like the Irish terrorists, right? Because they didn't batten down the hatches. I don't think that's why they blew up his boat. Actually killed members of his family, I think, too. Is that that's not too cool. smart dribble, upbeaty? So, hello, John. Uh, John. You sound a little under the weather. Are you okay? Um, I am currently under the weather. And since this is smart drivel, Kurt, I'm going to tell you and me where the term under the weather comes from. Please. And it's nautical. Back to the submarine thing, although a cousin of the submarine, which was just sort of the ship, the boat. You know what? I think we found that when we did fun phrases, I would say 80% were nautical based. It sounds like a gross overstatement, but that's par for the course for this here podcast. So when you're on the high seas and the weather turns ugly and you're now to the wind and the wind is blowing hard and the water's getting really rough, the people on the deck of the boat say, hey, I don't want to be up here. And so they basically go down under deck into their cabins to ride out the storm and also avoid getting seasick. Although I think I would get seasick under there as well. And in that way, they are literally under the weather because they're under the deck protecting themselves. You realize that makes no sense, right? Under the weather because the weather is from the deck up and they are protecting themselves below deck under the weather. Under the weather means you're sick. And this is the opposite. They're going underneath to not get sick. It makes no sense. Well, I'm telling you what the term means. I know, but when you say to someone, oh, I'm under the weather, that means you're sick. And in this case, the only way this makes sense is if when they went underneath, they escaped the rain under the weather, they caught a disease because they were all in the same small spot and all got infected together. That would make sense, but you forgot to say that. No, I don't think that's the case. I didn't say I was going to explain why the term means being sick. I said I was going to explain the origin of the term under the weather. Now, you asked a different question. Why does the term under the weather mean being sick? And that's where in this co-host partnership thing, you say something like that. And I, it makes no sense to me that under the weather would be just escaping the weather because we use it now as getting sick. Well, I see your point. It's a fair point. It's just not the point I set out to make. I think people got sick when they were under the hatches or the Mountbatten battens, and they got sick underneath there. They got scurvy. Well, listen, well, there's another origin, and that is they didn't just do it to escape the bad weather, but they, when they would, were sick. They would go underneath. And yeah, if they were trying to recover from something that, you know, because they had an illness or a seasickness, they would retreat to under the weather. Didn't we talk about one time about how people gave birth under there and there was something about like 
when you guys gave birth under on the ship on top. We talked about that at one point. But yeah, there was some sort of something there. <laughs> so, you know, speaking about under the weather, I found that, you know, that snails will sleep up to three years wow. if the weather isn't moist enough to meet their needs. So they're going to look out snails are like, eh, not moist enough. I'm going to sleep for three years. That's a hell of a power nap, John. Wow, that puts Rip Van Winkle. What was he like, 100 years? So he's he outdid the snails. But man, I think I might like to be a snail because I wouldn't mind going to sleep for three years. From snails, what's that trail they leave? Isn't that like how little, we got scotch little, tape or something? Some sort of tracks, but I don't know where you're going with this, but I am a little nervous. Well, I think we got scotch tape from that. I think like the guy who developed scotch tape looked at snails trails and was like, huh, maybe I can get something sticky that doesn't stick. Kurt, are you discussing biomimicry? I am, John, I am. Well, that's awfully relevant to the topic of today's episode, which you're going to share with our listeners now. Tell us more. Well, there are certain things that we as humans have developed and heralded as wonderful inventions that we got. Kurt, can I stop you for a second? Yes. I think the term you were looking for before was son of a gun. Yes. If someone was born on a boat. Do you want to say more about that before we move on to this topic? Well, just that you were, it was a place of protection out of the way by the gun where the female could give birth. And so you were called a son of a gun. The female, you sound like Marlon Perkins on Mutual of Omaha, where the female can give birth. <laughs> All right. So you were telling us about biomimicry. By the way, who's who's that great guy, Richard Attenborough from uh, England? He's like Sir or Lord Attenborough. He's great. I think he's Sir Richard Attenborough, Lord Mountbatten, who, who, who died out. in the sea. Yeah, they didn't batten down the hatches. Well, talk about being under the weather. Well, that's not appropriate. Poor man died. We did talk about how Horatio Nelson, that's how we get the expression, turn a blind eye. Right. But you didn't actually explain all of that. You just gave a couple of keywords for those people who listened to that episode. So I think you need to be a little bit more expansive and then we can get on to today's topic. Okay, So he was an aggressive sort of swashbuckling admiral who would try different things when they weren't safe. And it actually worked a lot. And he actually had lost one of his eyes in a battle. So he's in a different battle. Wasn't might have been Trafalgar, which he's most famous for. I'm not sure. And. He tries to do this maneuver, which you're not supposed to do. And the, his boss behind him, the high, high, high admiral, had this flag up there to say, don't go, don't go, look at the flag. And what did he do? He took the periscope or telescope, I mean, and put it to his blind eye and said, oh, I never saw it and went. So that's where we get the expression turning a blind eye to something. I think you said periscope because we opened with the discussion of the submarine. Biomimicry. Part of biomimicry, by the way. So biomimicry is where we as humans have a technological advance or invention based on something that we got from the animal kingdom. And submarines we get from whales. We studied whales. Not only is a submarine the same design of a whale and looks like it, but what do submarines use that whales use? Sonar. Beep, beep. And we actually looked for sonar after 1912 when the Titanic was destroyed. People said, huh, maybe we should find something that can see if there's something underneath the sea that we can't see, S-E-E, something underneath the sea, S-E-A. 
and they mimicked both bats and whales and developed sonar. You know, that takes me back to the episode we did a long time ago on homophones, you mentioning CNC. So I was flying back from Europe last week. And you know, do you ever like, what's that? Arms tired. Thank you. A little, little call out to Henny Youngman there. Thank yep. you for that, Kurt. <laughs> so when you're super bored late in the flight, at some point you actually watch the flight path. Well, I guess you'd like to know when you're going to be there and how you're tracking. And we flew directly over the site in the North Atlantic where the Titanic went down. And it's still kind of chilling. I couldn't see anything, but it's just sort of weird to fly directly over that spot and just look out the window and see nothing but ocean as far as the eye can see. Even even Admiral Nelson could see with his one eye ocean all around. Was Nelson the Admiral when the whole Spanish Armada thing happened? No. Because that was like the 1500s. 1588, yes. Spanish Uh, Armada off the coast of Ireland, if I recall. He won, Nelson won the Battle of Trafalgar, which hence Trafalgar Square, and there's his statue. How many lions are there at Trafalgar? Three? Well, there's two outside the New York City Library. Right, but I'm talking Trafalgar. I think there are three. We're supposed to roar if a virgin goes by. (laughs) So, but I think there are three at Trafalgar Square. Yeah, because there's three lions in the crest of England, right? All right, so you were talking about biomimicry. I guess the the Sinquanon example would be Velcro, eh? Yes. Since I'm a little under the weather, would you like to tell our listeners the story of Velcro? Well, John, it was 1941, 43, 40s. And there was this Swiss guy by the name of George de Mestrel. And he was happened to be a physicist and an inventor. And he's walking through the woods or the brambles or the Alps. And his dog gets these burrs stuck in all his fur. And he looks closely, given that he was a scientist, and he sees that the burrs were actually made up of tiny hooks, and the dog's hair, tightly coiled, was loops. And he said, huh, there's something here in the hook and loop combination that could work. And that could work because it pulls out, but it also stays, pulls out and also stays, pulls out and also stays. So he developed a Velcro out of that. Now, it was 1941. Have you ever done Velcro jumping, Kurt? Where you stick to the wall? Yeah, you basically put on a suit of Velcro and you run and jump at a wall and see who can stick to the wall at the highest elevation. Well, we didn't do highest. We did it in the funniest form. So you have done it? Yes. Where did you go Velcro jumping? You know, I'm sure it was one of these corporate outing things we did. It's actually a pretty good one. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done it? I haven't, but it makes me think of those places where you can go and like skydive a little bit, but you're basically being blown up in the air by a turbine. And I don't mention turbine just for no reason at all. Have you done that? I have. Yes. You have done that too? Yes. I fly. And is that something you did as a corporate activity as well? I did it because they were looking to have me become their CEO. And before I decided to interview, I wanted to go see what it was all about. So I went and did it. Well, that that actually would have been cool because that would have been legitimately useful to me because I think I would enjoy that. <laughs> and if I knew you, then I could have gotten some sort of preferred treatment or preferred access to the turbine. But I don't just bring up turbine for no reason tall, Kurt. I bring it up because wow. the turbine, the shape of the turbine is actually inspired by the whale. And as so you know, as the submarine and sonar, thank God. So this is a whale. whole episode about whales, but you know that whales can dive hundreds of feet below the surface. 
And that's not relevant to what I want to tell you about. <laughs> if you look at the, the shape of their fin, yeah, it actually mirrors that of a turbine. And since they are very powerful creatures who can go up and down and jump out of the water, that shape generates a lot of energy. Why did it take us so many years to make a cool-looking ceiling fan? Do we have a cool-looking ceiling fan? Oh, here? yeah. You have the ones that look like they're like brushed aluminum and they're they're shaped like a propeller almost. Those are the cool ones instead of the stupid wooden ones with this, with this metal string hanging down with a light on it that's too bright. That perhaps we hadn't fun. met the right animal yet to inspire the winning design. Was the ceiling fan inspired by an animal, Kurt? No, why are you bringing that up? Because that's the topic of the podcast, Gert. Is there some reason you brought it up? I think I was, I was thinking about the whale's tail. And oh. by the way, isn't that a drink game? Whale's Prince tail? of Wales lost yeah. his tails, whale's tails on three. Yes. If we were in high school and we had beer, then we would be playing whale's tails, which is probably inspired either by the whale or the Prince of Wales, who is not a whale. Okay. All right. So as long as we're doing biometrics. Biomimicry? Yeah. You know what that yeah. stands for? Mimicking the bio, which I know is, when you said biometrics, I got confusitated. I'm doing my pulse right now, my biometrics. How about what we got also from an animal, suction cups? Like from the octopus? Yes, exactly. We have a really serious nautical theme going on here. By the way, I was driving my car last week. Hank? My, my yes, my convertible that I keep in the barn. And I hadn't been. I was traveling a lot, so I hadn't driven in a while. I started driving up the street, and I looked on the windshield. On the outside of the windshield, the passenger side was a tiny mouse that was stuck. Oh for my god! Life on the windshield, and the poor eyes were and his hands oh. and everything. He was splayed out, or she was splayed out, sticking. Well, if she were, if it were splayed out, you should know whether it was a he or a she, wouldn't you think? Very small, and I couldn't see, and I was freaked out. So I hope you hit your brake so that the mouse went flying off. So I hit my brake so the mouse went flying off, and then I stopped and looked. I couldn't see it. I said, oh, phew. So I started driving again, and then about two minutes later, I looked in my side view mirror, and right next to the mirror, you know, in that little sort of area where the window comes up when it's down? There it was! Oh, God, that would have freaked me out. I was freaking out driving. I got in the wrong lane. I finally pulled over. I got out. I ran out. It wouldn't move. I'm screaming because I'm a scaredy cat. I opened my trunk. I got out a tennis racket. I went up and I flicked it off. It was the oh, best you didn't, you didn't kill it. You flicked dead. it. I'm glad to yeah. hear you flicked it. Do you know the last thing that goes through a bug's mind when it hits your windshield going 60 miles an hour? It's asshole. It's asshole is correct. <laughs> anyway, suction cups we do get from octopi. I was just trying to think of something else that we get in this biomimicry. So we have that. We talked about sonar. We talked about Velcro, which is not from an animal, but it's from nature. We talked about the submarine. What else, John? Kurt, have you had your COVID vaccines? I've had four of them, John. So you've had two vaccines and two. You're double boosted. Yes. I too am double boosted. And in each case, we received that vaccine via the needle. And the needle was inspired by nature, Kurt. It was inspired by a creature, albeit not a sea faring or seaborne creature. Swordfish or whatever that one is. It's got the hornbill. Yes, the swordfish. That's it. 
whenever we order swordfish, you have to ask them to remove the sword from the, in any event. So it's actually from the mosquito. What? So it, you know, which it goes in so easily and, you know, sucks all your blood and stuff. But the needle is actually inspired by the mosquito. And, you know, cats' penises have barbs on them. So they go in and don't come out too easily. Well, the sad thing is I do know that. And we have to ask the question of why both of us know that, because it's not like we've come across one. No, it's because we just revel in the pain, maybe. I don't know. If I don't know. I'm forward. sure that's been biomimicked as well, Kurt. But that's a, we're not going to be talking about them kind of toys here on this episode, because this is on the edge of a family show. How about just in general, something much more macro and biomimicry, John? How about yeah. flight? How about back to the cavemen when they looked up and saw birds and they thought, that's what I want to do. And, the, you know, people that were first inventors of aeroplanes and or the idea of flying, what they do, they studied birds. And who was a big studier of birds, John? That would be Charles Darwin. Leonardo fi- da Vinci. Darwin. Well, he invented the helicopter. And he also made drawings for airplanes, the first airplane. Are you debating that Charles Darwin studied birds? Because I think the finches and the Galapagos were kind of a big deal in terms of evolutionary theory. So are you saying he didn't study birds? Blue-footed boobies. Are you saying that Darwin did not study? Okay, that gave you so much pleasure that you just ought to spend some time reflecting. Gert is cracking up because he said blue-something boobies. Blue-footed boobies. Okay. Do you think Darwin cracked up when he came across them? You know, I've been to the Galapagos and I've seen all those animals. Okay, that's not responsive. Do you think Darwin cracked up when he came across the blue-footed booby like you? How could you not? (laughs) Well, the the child inside is so accessible. We mimicked birds. That's all I'm saying. And that's how we got to fight. And in fact, the glider, which is not the jet airplane, the glider mimicked the albatross. And in 1856... They decided to look exactly at the albatross and make a glider, which was fantastic. And it took another 50 years till our boys, the Wright brothers, went to Kitty Hawk and actually did something with an engine powered, not just wind powered. Well, that's pretty heady. So I believe that we mentioned the octopus earlier. Eh? Yes, we did. Do you know know something else in mankind in addition to suction cups? That was inspired by the octopus? I do, the magic eight ball. Because there are eight options? Actually, I think there's more than eight options. That's not exactly a cube in there. The next cube would be six anyway. I prefer not to. It's an octagon in there. So that means there's only eight choices? Yes. Why do I think you're wrong? I think there's more than eight sides to that thing. No. Listen, you look that up while I talk about the octopus, how it inspired. It inspired actually camouflage, Kurt. Did you know that octopuses and other cephalopods that exist in nature can change their skin color with the help of this crazy network of skin cells that detects the elements of the surrounding and they can transform their shape and their structure and all that kind of stuff so that they can hide? Did you see that incredible movie about the octopus? What was it called? My Professor the Octopus or something like that? I did not see a movie about an octopus. Okay, then you need to go see that movie. That was an extraordinary, what's that? 20 sides. So that's different than eight, Kurt? Yeah. So there is a movie, Kurt. This is worth a mild digression. There is a movie, a documentary came out a couple of years ago. It's on Netflix called My Octopus Teacher. And you must, must 
must watch it. It is extraordinary. It's about the relationship between this octopus and this diver who goes out every day to study it. And stuff happens that you just didn't think happened. Well, I don't want to suggest anything, but it's an, it's, first of all, it's extraordinarily beautiful. And it also gives you a line of sight into a world and into a being that you know very little about, other than the fact that it inspired suction cups and camouflage. How long is this? Oh, my God. <laughs> long enough for you to stay focused enough to enjoy the living crap out of learning something. I love and it's not even going to hurt, Kurt. I love to learn. I just don't know if I could watch a two-hour movie about an octopus. If you can't watch this movie from beginning to end and thoroughly find yourself in rap, I'm happy to conclude. I feel confident concluded there's something wrong with you. It's John, that good. Do you know something else that someone told me the other day? Of course I do not. That was rhetorical. Horses and cows can sleep standing up. I think I knew that. But they can only dream lying down. Wow. I wonder what happens. Do you think, I, you know why I think so? I think even though they're asleep standing up, the brain's still a little bit on alert because they got to fire something to stand up. But when you lie down, the brain's like, okay, finally, I can go into like subconscious mode. And so I where know. do we get, what's the biomimicry out of that, John? I'll no earthly you. idea. Kurt, does Feedback it have any chairs? Oh, so you're actually, we're making a point here. No. Did you say biofeedback chairs? Beanbag chairs. Okay, you're just making that up, right? Yeah, but they do only dream lying down. That part's true. All right. Well, it's always good that when you tell us when you're making something up and when you're not. How about bullet trains? Now, you lived in Japan. Yes. Tell us about bullet trains. Well, the bullet train came about and they went, it would go 120 miles an hour. It was the first thing that was crazy fast. In Japan, and it was called the bullet train because it looked like a bullet and it went fast. The problem is when you came out of a tunnel, you were pushing so much air in front of you. When that air coming out of the tunnel met the air of not in tunnel, you'd get a huge boom. Plus, you'd feel pressure in the train. Was it a sonic boom, Kurt? Well, it was kind of like a sonic boom. I think it was a sonic boom. And so they had issue. I don't think it was. They weren't going that fast. But anyway. I think it was a sonic boom. I think a sonic boom happens when you break the sound barrier and they didn't break the sound barrier. But anyway, they were coming through. And what they realized is what can they do to make this slice through the air better? So we don't have this boom. And this Japanese engineer working on the bullet train also happened to be an ornithologist. So he liked birds was watching the kingfisher bird one day, saw the kingfisher slice through the air, through the water to get its prey and thought, I'm going to slice it through. So made the nose of the bullet train more nosy like the kingfisher. It sliced through the tunnel and solved the problem. Biomimicry. At its best, which makes sense because nature has figured out a lot of stuff through trial and error, pretty much randomness. And stuff that has survived that process and endured, those are some pretty cool designs. I mean, the spider web, Kurt, is among the, you know, the silk in a spider web is among the strongest structures out there. And that has inspired the way that we make glass for an automobile. So if there is a break, you know, you're more likely to have a crack as opposed to an entire shatter. And that was inspired by, so it's pretty cool. But they basically put a beak on the bullet train inspired by the Kingfisher. How Pretty about, darn cool. 
How about things like the honeycomb? I'm sure we learned from the honeycomb's honeycomb. big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. We've also seen the honeycomb has helped us both in architecture and in industrial design. We also have seen rivers that have flown over complex rocks that give us filtration systems for our Brita filters in our fridge. Oh, interesting. Light bulbs that we've learned from fireflies. I bet you the down insulation in people's jackets came from birds that had down on them. Okay, but that wasn't, okay, okay, mimicking the goose, yes. Yes, that's how they kept themselves warm. So we basically took all those feathers and put them in our jackets and we are now warm. We are smart. So we have to- And of course, the goose is now cold because it lost its feathers. Well, we have to wrap up, but it leads me to a question. And this is not one of these trick questions. But why is one goose goose and two geese, but one moose moose is not two moose meese? Look, the English language is filled with inconsistencies like that. We could do an entire episode, perhaps a trilogy on that topic. It must be so hard to learn this language if it's not your native language, because there's just rampant inconsistency. In fact, that's you and I. (laughs) Rampant inconsistency. So goose is from and geese is from old English, which was spoken, you know, in the first thousand years of the common era. And so that was from old English goose, which was goose. And then again, guess, which is geese. Moose, we get a thousand years later and it's a Native American word. And therefore, there was no plural to it. So moose became moose. So even though it sounds right, moose, moose, goose, geese. They are two different words separated by vast amounts of time. Do you know that the shock absorber was inspired by structures inside the head of the woodpecker since the woodpecker slams its face into hard objects? And there's an incredible amount of impact from that. But there, the structure of the beak is both hard and elastic. And we've used some of that you know, for shock absorbers. I think the woodpecker has like a long and narrow spring-like tongue and some spongy bones on all. obviously it has to suppress and dissipate a tremendous amount and that makes sense shock absorbers all right kurt we are done with this that? episode yeah. i'm gonna mimic a bear and have something to eat now okay and if you go in the woods and you were to relieve yourself I'm we would pope. go of course i'm the pope okay so listen thank you everybody thank you kurt kurt and i'll be back next week with another episode of smart drivel Until then, we hope your life is filled with smart drivel. Batten down the hatches, Kurt. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.